Yeah, so we learned yesterday that the Kuzari responds to the Muslim by saying that he believes that in order for one to pref- to, to believe that there was divine communication, divine communication only comes about through some supernatural experience. And this supernatural experience has to be in the view of the public. It has to be something that is not just an individual experiencing, but done through the public. So yesterday we analyzed that point and we spoke about um, the details about what he says. Yeah, we're on page 64 by 9, and we have in the booklet, the last copy is copy page 65, I believe, so we'll be able to finish today in the booklet, then we'll have to go make new copies tomorrow. So we're holding 64, 9. The wise Muslim responded, but it's not our holy book, the Quran, full of, but is not our holy book, the Quran, full of miracles related about Moses and the Christian and the children of Israel. No one denies that God brought retribution upon Paroi, that he split the, the, the Red Sea to save his chosen nation, that he drowned the Egyptians, that he brought the mon and the quail from the heavens to feed the children of Israel for 40 years in the desert, that he spoke with Moshe on Har Sinai, that he made the sun stand still by Yeshua, and that he helped Yeshua defeat the mighty giants living in Canaan. And certainly what God did before the advent of the Israeli, the Israelite nation, such as the Great Flood and the destruction of Sodom and Amora, these are events that are well known. No one would suggest that these miracles were performed through trickery or that they were frag- fragments of imagination. So it's hard to fully flesh out what he's responding. He's saying is, read the Bible, read Tanakh, and you'll see Tanakh is full of miracles. So, so here's the problem. Firstly, okay, you have to believe the Tanakh. He doesn't substantiate why the Tanakh is something you believe, but we'll leave that for a later point. More questionable is the fact that, how does that respond to the Kuzari's question? The Kuzari said, if there's divine communication, if God, right, if God is communicating, there has to be some phenomenon, supernatural phenomenon, right, that accompanies this experience, right? That means... At the moment of the communication, seemingly the communication, at least the way we explained it yesterday, the communication itself has to be in some supernatural way, right? We said yesterday we gave the analogy, not necessarily a good one, but somewhat of an analogy to this. Let's say beaming across all cell phones at the same time a message. That means you override the regular channels and you're able, or let's say today, the fact that we could, through through, um, satellites, spread information throughout the world instantly, Today, we don't call it supernatural, that's because it's within the laws of nature. But this idea 200 years ago would have been a miracle. So that would be a supernatural event. The argument that Kusari makes, to believe God communicates to man, there has to be some sort of supernatural event accompanied with it. The Muslim responds, what do you mean? The the holy Tanakh is full of miracles. There's the miracles of once the Jewish people were the nation of, the Jew, of God. At least God chose them from the st- story of Moshe of Mitzrayim and the ten plagues and all of that. And from before, the destruction of, of, of the people in, in, in Sodom and, and, and the Mabel. That doesn't seem to answer the question because the question was more about the specific command of God, right? What does seem to be the answer, the Muslim seems to be saying, is that we believe that divine revelation meaning 
we believe that the communication that is in the Tanakh, meaning the Muslim believes in Tanakh just like the Jew does, just they, they sort of manipulate certain stories, but they generally believe that the stories in the Tanakh are true. So they're say, what his, seemingly his argument is, is that, um, is, is, is sort of like saying that the communication that is coming with it is all true. In other words, if I have the miracles with the communication in the same book, somehow the miracles justify the communication, justify the, the religious elements of the, of, of the stories as well. In other words, Har Sinai was a miracle because we said the whole world stopped, the whole world heard even. So Har Sinai itself was a miracle. The communication at that point obviously is a divine communication. But besides that, the fact that you have a book that contains God's will to man, and in that book also outlines miracles that happened throughout history, that sort of supports that there should be some connection between God's will being communicated to man and the miracle. It's hard to really understand why. Um, but that's what he's saying. So I would, I'm thinking that perhaps one of the ideas that he's saying here, and it's, I'm not sure I'm correct. I have to see how others explain this part of the Kuzari, but I'm thinking that the explanation sort of is like this. The Kuzari is going to go on to say that religion is sort of part of the fabric of nature. That means it's not just a form of of a way of life, you know, for example, a diet, right? We spoke before about diets, right? A diet is a form of life. You, you, you want to live a healthy lifestyle. So certain people believe that a healthy lifestyle is by, I don't know, going on keto. Some people think that going on keto is not a healthy lifestyle. It's actually unhealthy, whatever it is, right? So there's different lifestyles. There's different ways of living your life or, you know, but you won't say that your lifestyle or the way you're living your life is sort of intrinsic or perhaps intrinsic is not the right word is sort of essential to life itself in other words you won't say that my choice to eat every 20 hours versus every two hours is sort of essential or actually maybe intrinsic is the right word is actually part of the fabric of life right you're not going to say that i mean perhaps i don't know maybe you will say in other words living a certain way of life, right? Living a certain way of life is a choice that you prefer because of whatever you're convinced of. And you go about living that way of life based on whatever, again, whatever you're convinced of. What? Right. Eating is part of, but your choice of when or how, that is not. Right? So, unlike a way of life, the Kozari is going to argue that religion is not just a way of life. In other words, religion is not this, um, you know, a choice. How do you want to, your best, your best, your best, uh, how do you define, how do you get your best, the best out of you? How do you reach your ultimate potential, so to speak, right? So some may argue that religion provides, even in Chazal you have this concept, right? There's a Medrash that says that why did God give the mitzvahs to man? So the language of the Medrash is, Litzarfen behemes abrius, to refine man. And some Rishayim take it quite literally in the sense that there is no divine element to doing mitzvahs. The purpose of mitzvahs is literally just a way of refining man, you know, perfecting man to the utmost that man could be. 
If that's the case, it's again, it's a lifestyle. And the same thing, let's say the dietary laws. The dietary laws could be seen as, you know, a, 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 a just a form of nature, living a healthy life, right? Don't eat certain foods because it's unhealthy. Eat other foods because it is healthy. God being the ultimate knowledge, has the ultimate knowledge, being the creator, the programmer of life, he could tell you and decide which is the best way to live your life. So in that sense, it's not, again, it's not essential, it's not intrinsic to life, but if you want to perfect, you want to live your life to the fullest, these are the best, you know, choose life, meaning live your life to the best way if possible. So even according to these Rishayim that learned the dietary laws related to a very, you know, metziustic thing, the way a person lives their life has actually physical benefits, um, or that the whole idea of mitzvahs is is to better us, they obviously believe that there's a spiritual element as well, because we know that we're fulfilling God's will, I mean, the Zoyar speaks about this, and, 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 and it's something which is accepted even in, in Chazal, right? The Gemara speaks about doing God's will as being an ends in itself. Not just doing God's will because it makes me better, but that's sort of part of my purpose in life is to fulfill, or the end of Kedushin, the Gemara there says, I was created merely to serve God. Meaning it's not seen, religion there in Chazal is not seen just as a way of bettering my life, as perfecting myself, but as a way of service to God. So even those Rishenim will agree that it's, it's, there is a super, supernatural, a much more spiritual, divine element to religion. But what's interesting, the Kuzari is going to argue later, that he sees religion as part of the natural fabric of nature. In other words, it's like the law of nature. Just like you have laws of nature, religion is part of the laws of nature. Which means, when we get to it, we'll have to flesh it out a little bit more, but which means is that when you see a certain progression in life, and you see certain aspects of life, the way they unfold, they're not just coincidence, they're actually very much part and parcel of the design of nature, the purpose of nature, how God wants nature to run, in order for those things to be part and parcel of His purpose. In other words, and this actually is in line very much with Chabad Chassidus, and especially the Rebbe's Chassidus, or the Rebbe's way of teaching the Chassidus, is that every aspect of nature is in itself part of religion. In other words, religion is not a separate thing from nature. It's not like there is the natural, and then as we said, the, a way of life called religion. The fact that I live a religious life is basically the same way as I need to eat and I need to sleep. It's a law of nature that I need to eat and I need to sleep. Likewise, I also need, or inherent to myself, is being a religious person. And deeper yet, the aspects of nature, the history of nature, the history of man, all within that is seen as communication, as God communicating to man. Besides the idea of Ashkacha Pratis, which is itself, that's a Chiddush of the Baal We spoke about that in earlier, in earlier classes that the Baal Shem Tov had a revolutionary approach to Ashkach HaPratis, that literally every aspect of everything that happens in my life, I have to read into it, I have to see within it something meaningful in my life, I have to be able to perceive, or intuit, or whatever it is, something much more than how it relates to my service to God, or something connected to me on a deeper level. But, well, the, the simple answer would be Bechir Chavshis. That means, in order to create an equal balance, a healthy, right, balance. So, I mean, I think the question goes deeper. Why do we struggle so much with it in ourselves? Why do we have this inner battle? Uh, someone messaged me yesterday about, you know, cognitive dissonance and whatever. And, you know, how does one get over cognitive dissonance? 
And so I mentioned a few things, but one of the main points I mentioned is the fact that we have this cognitive dissonance, the fact that we're sort of, it's natural for us to be sort of in this double-edged space where we're not sure what we're doing is actually in line with what we believe or the fact that we're, there's confusion and doubt, I think that's part of, that is part of the purpose. And as I've mentioned a number of times, that is the way when you live within the struggle, in a way you actually sort of nurture more your, yourself. You bring out a deeper connection to it and a deeper connection to whatever you believe in. You and that's part of the Bechir HaChavshis. That is part of the Bechir HaChavshis. Part of freedom of choice, as the way I understand it, especially from the eyes of Hasidus, is being able to separate that which is within the doubt, that which is not true, or not what you want to live your life by, and that which you say, I am going to live my life by. In that moment where you see this as inherent or essential or fundamental or whatever words intrinsic to your being, that is the choice you made. Because really, you don't know for sure anything. But the reason for that is because God's Quran's created Bechir Chavshis. In, in Rabbi Soloveitchik's Halachic Man, now that we've mentioned it a few times, he brings out this point of, he, he discusses, um, I think in the footnotes more, he discusses, you know, um, Hegel's dialectic. There's a famous Kant's dialectic, which basically says that there is um, ways of thinking, like a certain uh, structure of thinking. So he has, Kant says, every thesis has an antithesis, right? We've mentioned this in class a number of times, right? Every point of logic has its counterpart within logic, right? So logic could see two things automatically, two opposites, which in itself creates the fallacy of logic. That means using pure re reason is in itself inherently flawed because reason itself could be contradicted. So that's where Kant leaves it. Hegel adds a third dimension called a synthesis, which means through working through this contradiction, through seeing the two sides, being able like sort of like light and darkness, right? Through seeing the two sides, you'd be able to flesh out into something much deeper between both of them. Like when we see in Gemara working through contradictions, you see a deeper dimension. Right? That's why most of Torah, if you want to generalize, most of Torah is working through contradictions. 95%, you'll read Gemara's contradictions. It's all trying to figure out, not, so not always it's on the surface, sometimes you have to see it deeper, right? But the Gemara is going to say, it says this, Vahatanya, we learned that it should be this, right? Or this person says this thing, how does it work with that statement? A million times, you see, a million is an exaggeration, you see many times throughout Chazal, that is, even, even the text, the Rambam, books written on the Rambam, it's all about contradictions, why? Because how do you flesh out something deeper? Is being able to come to that deeper thing. So that's, called, that's Hegel's dialectic in a, in a nutshell. So I think Rabbi Soloveitchik, in his book, points out that in his way of thinking, that is fundamental. And his idea of halachic man is that you have your religious side and you have your secular side and that tension builds within you your halachic man. That allows you to become to your truer being, so to speak. So it's from the fight itself, it's from the struggle itself. You know, he calls it your religious versus secular. Well, he was influenced by Hasidus. We'll just say, you know, what? He says homo religioso right. and the cognitive mind. Right, and the cognitive mind, those are the words, correct. So, so, so those two diametrically opposed seemingly ideas, what we would call in the words of Hasidus, will be nefshel kis, nefshel hamas, or yetzer har, yetzer type. And, and, and sort of the synthesis in his mind is the nefesh hamaskelis. Whatever, it's a nefesh hamaskelis, is, 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 is sort of like the rational mind combining both ideas together. I believe it was originally written in Hebrew, yeah. So either way, the point is, is that um, 
you could have within, within the struggle itself, the fact that we do struggle with identity and we do, do struggle with understanding who we are, find that deeper meaning that allows us to actually connect to a deeper self. So the fact that we see others seemingly living without religion and prospering and seeing, seemingly being very successful creates for us this dialectic. In other words, now that creates for us that challenge for us to now ask, so what's real versus what's fake? That creates the Bechira Chavshis. But in the Bechira, you then have a deeper attachment to what you're choosing. Because you're choosing from something that's really you. In other words, just to flesh out the point a little bit more, and I don't want to get into a whole t- discussion because it could take us elsewhere, but Rabbi Salvechik is using a very ex- existentialist point of view. That means I'm going to define my truth, right? That means you're not necessarily inherently this, you're defining and creating yourself. Okay, there's the being versus becoming idea. Okay, and and what the argument is is that through this dialectic, through being able to come to a deeper self, you rec- or deeper meaning, you actually decide this is true, this is real, this is me, and that's what I'm going by. You identify yourself within it. In the words of Hasidus, you're reaching an essence. You be, you're not just becoming; you're being. You're tapping into your being. But through that process of that struggle, in the struggle itself, you could identify something, and when you identify as this is me, it becomes much more real to you. In other words, the power of Bechir Chavshis is that now the, th- the, the thing you choose to do is more real. It's not something that's superimposed. It's not something that you're doing with, um, with because you were forced as a child or that's what you were told to do as a child. You now equally see both sides or seemingly equally see because you never really fully see both sides together. But you sort of have a pres- representation in your mind of the religious, right? and the secular, the two, the two ends, and you sort of say both seemingly could have an argument, then you flesh out for yourself what you connect to more. So the existentialist will say you're becoming, you're making yourself. And Hasidus will say you're being, you're t- attaching yourself to your being, that's the ultimate of Bechira. But either way you look at it, the power of the Bechira is that through freedom of choice you now become more real, it becomes more truer to you. And that's why the Rebbe explains in the Sicha that why the, I think we've mentioned this also in a previous class, why is the mitzvah of tshuva not necessarily a mitzvah? Is because in order, for it to, in order for it to be real, that you're really returning to your inner self, in order for this to really be you, it has to come from Bechir HaChavshis, it can't come from a command. Because a command means you're superimposing something on yourself. It's not really you. So either way, to answer why you, meaning why do other people don't have a religious life and seemingly are successful, or the fact is other people just don't, abide by the rules of religion, that's Bechira. That's a simple answer. But if it was like the fabric of life, like he's saying So he argues that point, he asks that question, and he discusses it. We'll see that more later. But the point that I think he's saying here is sort of leading up to that point. What he's saying here is, if religion is part of the fabric of nature, it's a law of nature, then the miraculous nature that comes into nature, meaning the fact that there is miracles, and the miracles take on the tune or take on a tone of the religious nature, right? For example, why do we celebrate Shabbos? Because God rested on the seventh day, right? But on Shabbos, we also say, What does have to do with Shabbos? It's that that experience or that miraculous experience of Egypt provides the knowledge of this religious element. In other words, 
when I experience Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, I recognize that God is the one running the show and God could change nature at any moment. That is religion. It's not, a, a, it's not an imposing element. It's a recognition of the laws of nature. Just like I eat, I sleep, I recognize God as running the show. I recognize that Shabbos is a day of rest. And that's the Zeich Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. That is a miracle because that broke the law of nature, so to speak, for that to happen. So in this regard, the miraculous actually is in line with the religious communication or the will of God as being through the laws of nature. Am I making sense? And I don't know if people are catching what I'm saying. You understand what I'm saying? So that, I think, is what basically the, the, the Muslim is responding. What he's saying is, maybe to make it a little more simple, to simplify it a little more, what he's saying is like this. You look at the Tanakh. Okay, whether we believe the Tanakh, so the Kuzari is going to say, basically is going to res- respond that <laughs> you gave me a good proof why I should ask the Jews, because they're the ones, all the miracles that you're referring to is to the Jewish people. So they're the ones that sort of have this miraculous nature that's attached to their religion. But, in other words, the Kuzari will accept this argument in itself, which is basically that the Tanakh somehow is true. We believe the Tanakh to be true. Why? We'll have to get into but the fact is the Tanakh is true. What do you see in the Tanakh? That there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a tapestry, there's an interweaving between nature, Horatius Berlikim, and religion. And miracles and religion. And the miracles providing fuel, or not just fuel, providing more of the will of God. Like, for example, we have the mitzvahs that are related to Edus, right? So, for example, there's a whole discussion, just to use this as a, as, as a, as a point, but needs more clarification. There's a whole discussion. It says in the Gemara that Avram kept the entire Torah before it was given, right? That's why some questions are, why didn't he give himself a brismillah before he was commanded, etc. So some argue that it doesn't mean literally all the Torah, because there's certain mitzvahs that are only a mitzvah after the fact. Like, for example, you'd see us Mitzrayim. To say that they celebrated Pesach, Ari Miklat, certain mitzvahs are only after the fact. So, oh, so some will say, the Medrash seems to say that Yitzchak did celebrate Pesach, and Pesach seemingly, therefore, how does that work? It's hard. These, they try to work it out. But some do want to say that this, that they kept the whole Torah, doesn't mean that they kept the whole Torah. They kept the Torah that's based on Mishpatim, and maybe even Chokim. But the Eidos part of Torah, which are mitzvahs, which are associated based on a certain event, that is a whole different set of mitzvahs that perhaps they didn't do. Oh, okay, so that's the answer. At the end of the day, the answer is what Chassidah says, is that the event itself is not the cause. The cause is something much more on a spiritual plane. God speaks on a divine level and communicates to us in a physical realm. And in that regard, yes, the real reason we celebrate Pesach, and eat matzah, and eat more, is not just because that's what happened when we left Egypt. That is just a representation of the spiritual experience or something that happened on that level. But be that as it may, the point I'm making is that you see that mitzvah's religion, or the will of God, is very strongly connected to nature, or the physical experience. What happened to us, and how religion plays out, or how nature plays out, and how the miraculous nature plays out, that is very much how religion plays out. So, what could be the argument that Muslim is saying, he says, you're right. You're presenting, we need a miraculous nature to the divine communication, well, let's think. In the divine communication, the Tanakh, you find the communication is related to nature and to supernatural events. Isn't that in itself the proof 
that religion is part of the fabric of nature. So I don't have to, I don't have to necessarily communicate a specific communication that God said, do this. In other words, do I really need a Har Sinai moment? Meaning the, the flaw with what we're saying here is, is that you can ask the question, do you need Har Sinai then? If everything is already innate in nature, already in nature you have, so to speak, the religious experience, do you need an Har Sinai experience for that? Right? We asked this question already a while ago, right? If God made it this way, so already I should be able to intuit within ourselves, right? So we spoke about the necessity then for Har Sinai, that Har Sinai then sort of verifies something we may know intuitively, now brings it out in a much more real way. So we spoke about it in a previous class. But here, without that, with that said, without that said, the point is, is that the Muslim's response is that it's not that there's divine communication within nature. Nature itself provides the divine communication. And the fact that you have this, this again, this weaving of the miraculous with the natural, with the religious, all in one book, sort of suggests that that is precisely the will of God. That's how God's will has been communicated to us. It's not clear that that's what he's saying. I just don't have a better way to understand how he's answering or responding back to the Kuzari. A lot of these conversations in the Kuzari, I found to be very much almost disconnected in certain respects. Like almost they move from point to point versus being a continuum of the discussion. So sometimes it's very hard to see the flow. What's the answer? What's the question? But I think in this regard, it's a buildup because eventually there's Kuzari or the rabbi, the Jew, is going to lead to this point himself to say that religion is not an add-on. It's not an addition. You know, it's like you get Windows 10 or, and then you could add on certain things, you know, to make your experience more enjoyable. That's not the idea here. Religion is part of the fabric. It's part of the programming. And if that's the case, and we see that, the fact that certain mitzvahs are attached to the physical reality, right? Based on that, you see the interplay or this, this, this overlapping between the two. So then you don't need to have a specific miracle of communication that says that God says, I am God and this is what you should do, but rather the fact that throughout nature and in nature you see this constant miraculous flow with a communication attached to it could be the idea of the religious thing. What, what's going to happen now is, um, is that the Kuzari is going to basically say, okay, so you've proven to me that Judaism is correct. Because <laughs> now what do I see? That from everything the Muslim and the Christian said, where do they base their bottom line on? Where is the divine communication? Where did that happen? To the Jewish people. So why am I busy bothering with you guys? If your religion is all based on the Jewish religion, let me move back to their Jewish religion. So the Christian tried to answer, they lost their way because they didn't accept Jesus. So, the Muslim, so he responded to them, you don't work logically or empirically, right? The Muslim says, Jesus was correct and Moshe was, Moshe was correct, but Islam is the final word. What gives Islam more credibility anymore? Why should it be more the final word? Why shouldn't I go back to what it says in the original Tanakh? He hasn't provided enough reason for that. And that's why, when we continue, we're going to already find that um, the Jew is going to present the Jewish perspective on religion, and that's going to be the basic discussion. So the first part, the Maimarishan, the first part of the book, is going to be discussing a lot of theological points. And the second point, the second chapter, or the second essay, is going to be dealing with a lot more the specifics of religion and understanding the makeup of the different the Kohanim, the Levim, and why do we have different groups or classes of Jews, and so on and so forth. Okay, we'll have to continue, Mr. Shem, uh, next time.